The title of today's message is Don't Waste Your Life. It's the title of a book that I read recently, and we've been working on getting some books for River as he begins to become a young man and enter um, different stages of life and things he'll encounter and hear. And so there's different books that we've been trying to encourage him to read. And so part of that is us reading them before. And, and so this was a book entitled that very thing, Don't Waste Your Life, written by John Piper. And the opening page of the book, he tells a story about his father who was an evangelist. And he shares that his father would go places to place and preach and that there was a village or a a city, a place that he had gone at one point, and there was an older gentleman, a man who had been hardened to the gospel, that the church had been praying for for many years, and that that man actually showed up when John Piper's dad was there preaching, and to the amazement of the, all those in the congregation that night, he came forward, and the man began to repent and believe on Christ, And but John Piper says that what stands out to him about this man's life was to hear his dad tell the story that as that man was down praying and crying out to God, he was saying these words, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. As he talks throughout the book, there's just this moment in which this gripping idea that we do not want to waste our lives. That our lives are indeed a vapor that is quickly vanishing, that we are flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow hearing the Word of God, teaching us to number our days, that our lives are short. And I think that today from this text in John chapter 12, it's a real warning, a real warning to all of us that it is a possibility that you can, in fact, waste your life. You can waste it. Living for pleasures and riches and treasures and the desires and only come to the end of your life and look down and realize, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. This past week, it was Wednesday at lunch and Emily and I were sitting around the table and I was just looking out the window and I was just talking about all the things that we love and treasure about here and just talking about the struggles in my heart to walk away and I said, but what am I going to do on that day? Am I going to stand before Christ and say, I love my home more than you? There's no argument to make before the one who has given his very life. And we sang it earlier. There's no greater love than this. It's your mercy. Like you gave all for me. How, Lord, how can I not in return surrender whatever you desire from me? And so... Today, from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26, we hear the warning, don't waste your life. And what we find out is this truth, is that we save our lives by losing them. We save our lives by losing them. The passage is going to sound familiar. It was, in fact, the very words that I began with last week, but I I just read them and made no comment. And again, they've just been wrestling in my soul and the soul of our family. And I, I really think for this church that this is just too major to pass up. So if you will, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 12, and as you make your way there, you, you need to realize what John 12 finds its place. For the first 11 chapters, John has continually been bringing forth these signs saying that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that he heals the lame or the blind, right? He turns water into wine. He walks on the water like all of these signs to say who he was. And then climactically, chapter 11 comes when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then 
From this chapter on, chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet on that Thursday night, and then it will tread toward the cross in those final few hours of Jesus' earthly life. So John 12, in some way, functions as a transition between what has been and what is to come. And it explains to us why Jesus lost his life. Why is he going to die? The warning to all of us not to waste our lives. And then third, I think we see the joy of losing our lives for the name of Christ. So look at me if you would. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, hearing this first truth. Jesus loses his life that we might be saved. Jesus gives up his life. Right? You're just saying it. No greater love than this. That his mercy and his grace might be poured out on us because he satisfies the judgment and wrath of God as our substitute. Pick up the wood, verse 20 of John chapter 12. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, right, the feast of Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now it's interesting, right? You may be wondering what's going on here. And notice that these are identified as Greeks. They are Gentiles. Now, now what's interesting is, is that John isn't just haphazardly inserting this story here as if it's insignificant. Like, why put these guys in here? Well, because chapter 11 just finished with the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the people who knew the Old Testament in and out, and it says that they're plotting to kill Jesus. Because why? Because all these people are going and seeing. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. It's undeniable. The word is out on the street, and people are clamoring to him saying, could he be the Messiah? Is this the king? Will he finally deliver us? And when the eyes turn off the religious leaders, their hatred boils. And so now John inserts and shares this story to say to us that there's these other guys who show up. They're Greeks, they're Gentiles, and and you might wonder, like, well, if they wish to see Jesus, why, like, why don't they? Well, that's part of their struggle. You see, when you come to Jerusalem, there's the temple, but there's all these walls around and and walls that say that you can't enter in. In fact, there were signs posted that say this, Gentiles go beyond this point upon pain of death. You see, they're outsiders. They can't go and just simply walk in the temple and walk up to Jesus. They're standing on the outside, but they're wanting to get to him. And it's these outsiders that hear about the glory of God being proclaimed through the scandal of the cross. Because this is what Jesus answers in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Notice what Jesus says again back in verse 23. He says, the hour has come. And notice what he says here. He identifies himself as the Son of Man. This is the promise from the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. That this great kingly figure is going to come to the presence of God Almighty and sit on the throne next to him. And everyone's going to worship him. Jesus saying, I'm here. I'm the Son of Man that Daniel spoke of. It's me here in the flesh. And what makes this statement so scandalous Right? It's is the fact that say, Jesus is saying, listen guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life, the Son of Man, right? That, that's what's mind-boggling. 
is the Son of Man is going to give His life. And it's not just for Jewish insiders, no. It's for Greeks and Gentiles and all the outsiders. How's He going to do it? Well, He's going to die. Listen to what He says there. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the call, right? That Jesus is identifying himself as this grain of wheat, and he uses this imagery of falling into the earth and dying. As with the seed is being planted, and it's going to burst forth and bring forth the fruit. Jesus is saying, listen, he's going to give his life for outsiders. Gentiles who weren't allowed anywhere close to the presence of God in the temple. Jesus is going to say, I'm going to give my life that you outsiders might become insiders. This is the mercy of God towards you. Jesus loving his life in the place of condemned sinners. He's losing his life there, dying on the cross. We hear what the Apostle Paul say to us in Romans chapter 5. He says, listen, for a good man, someone might die, but nobody dies for their enemies. Nobody dies for their enemies. I mean, who takes on the judgment of holy God for those who are his enemies, who hate him and despise him and reject him? And the Bible's answer is that person is Jesus. He's the one who dies in our place, who falls to the earth and dies for us. But maybe you're wondering, why? Why does he go to die? Why would he be willing to lose his life? Look what he says. It's it's interesting. Unpack here in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, what's Jesus say? It remains alone. That's the tension. It remains alone. Jesus says that if I don't die, then the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will remain alone outside of the elect angels. They'll remain alone. Why? Because none of us could ever, ever make it there on our own. Good people don't make it to heaven. Only those who experience the forgiveness of the grace and mercy of God in putting their faith and trust in Christ. And Jesus is saying that, guys, listen. There's no other access to the Father. If I do not give my life, then I will remain alone. There will be no church. There will be no pardon and forgiveness of sins. You see, the holy justice of God demands a perfect sacrifice and payment to satisfy His justice. Yet at the same time, the heart of God is merciful and gracious. He desires to show forgiveness. So where does God's justice and God's grace and mercy meet? At the cross with the Son of God dying in our place. You see, Jesus says that unless He falls into the earth and dies, He will remain alone. You see, this in itself sounds the alarm of how serious our sin is against the Holy God. It says that we aren't simply victims, but in fact, we are offenders. And the truth is, we can do nothing to atone for that, but that's why Christ comes. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But listen to this. But if it dies. But if it dies. But if Christ dies. Listen to what happens. He, it, bears much fruit. It's this hope of the gospel. It's all those who are going to see His glory. Right? That's what He says. Listen. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, what is His glory? 
is that he dies in the place of outsiders, of sinners, of rebels, of those who are in opposition to God and his word and the truth of his holiness. And so Jesus says, listen, but if I die, in fact, when I die, there will be much fruit. But that calls all of us to become vulnerable, doesn't it? I mean, this very truth that Jesus says, unless he dies, he remains alone. It says that we all must come now and acknowledge that we're actually in need of someone else to save us. That we can't do it on our own. That we're weak and we're unable to save ourselves or to satisfy God. It's a place of humility, of coming to have to admit that you're actually weak, that you need mercy. You see, unless we see Christ giving up His life for us, we'll never be moved to give our lives up in return. This is why I'm laboring this morning to show you the beauty of your Savior, that your heart would be stirred toward Him, that you would see His love towards you displayed fully, His glory made known in His death in your place on the cross. It's a scandalous thing. But Jesus is here saying, look at me, come to me, center your life upon me. I am worthy of your love and your admiration. Yes, I am worthy of even your own life. My guess is that many of you have probably found yourself at some point at the art show at the primary school. Right. And so, again, it's where each year the kids come and you're able to come into school and you're able to see all the things they have done throughout the year and Oh, and just imagine with me for a moment that you show up at the art show and you're walking down the hallway following your child or grandchild or niece or nephew or cousin or whomever you're with there. And your eyes are just transfixed upon the floor. And you're like, man, this is a beautiful white floor. And look at that ceiling tile, man. That is aesthetically pleasing. Can you imagine that mindset? Why? Because the kiddos are running saying, Mom, Dad, look, 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 look what I did. Look what I did here. Isn't that the reason why we're there? We ooh and all over like saying, man, guys, I can't believe it. But that's the purpose of the art show, isn't it? The purpose of the art show is not to look at the floor or the ceiling, but to treasure what those that we love have created. You see, in so much greater way, Jesus is saying to us, guys, don't waste your life by looking at all the things of this world and miss what's most valuable, what's most beautiful. It's me giving my life for you. It's the good news of the gospel. You see, the truth is we leave the art show joyful. Why? Because we cherish the artist. How much more so do we find ourselves as we treasure what Christ has done for us, living a life of joy and freedom and hope, sharing that love with others, You see, the world, it has all kinds of different other philosophies and religions about the way home. But Jesus is really clear that unless he dies, he will remain alone. There is no other access to the Father. And so Jesus, in light of this clarity, says to us, guys, there's a danger. And the danger is, is that you and I might waste our lives. There's a danger. Jesus says that you can, in fact, waste your life. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
whoever loves his life in, in, in this world, whoever loves his life in this world, look what he says, he loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says that if you love your life, right? So look what he says here. If you love it, you actually end up losing it. Now, this losing, what does that mean? Well, look what he says further here. He talks about those who are hating their life. They're denying themselves and they're treasuring Christ. He says those are the ones who are going to keep it for eternal life. So this losing must describe eternal losing of our lives. Forever suffering God's judgment. Now, we might ask, well, what does Jesus even mean here when he talks about the fact that we are losing our lives? I think he answers that some back in verse 24. This is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I think Jesus is saying to us that if we are refusing to come and die, that the truth is our lives will remain alone. They will, in other words, not do what he's just talked about here. They won't bear fruit. We will fail to live for the reason why we were created. Last night we were around the table and having some family worship. And right now we're in in Exodus chapter 20 and making our way through the Ten Commandments. And we were talking about things that the boys might be tempted to lie about. And I said, do you realize the seriousness? It's not just simply that we have commands that God says don't lie. Do you realize why it's so serious that we lie? They're like, well, I, I don't know. I said, because we are God's image bearers. So when you and I lie, we are imaging God to the world, saying to everyone, the Creator's a liar. That's why this is such high treason. You, uniquely, are created in the image of God. And so when you and I lie, we are saying something about our Creator. We are imaging Him to the world. That's why our sin is so serious and so heinous. And so Jesus says, listen, those who refuse to come to me and die, to give up their lives... Instead, they love it. It says, yes, you know what's going to happen? They're going to remain alone. They'll never bear fruit. It's the story of the prodigal. You see, in Luke chapter 15, there's this younger son who goes to his father and says, Dad, listen, I wish you were already dead. Because if you were already dead, I would have my inheritance. Give it to me now. This smack in the face, this spitting upon the father, so to speak. The father does something amazing. He, he gives the son his inheritance. Assumedly, the son sells all the things that he had and he leaves with his pockets packed fat, full of Benjamins. And it says that he goes out and he spends it on reckless living. The older brother later talks about prostitutes and all these things of just his pursuit of the world. But then this moment happens in the story. That after he spends it all. It says that he ends up alone. Everyone is gone. You see, he loved his life. He did the very thing that Jesus says here. He loves his life, but in fact, he's losing it. He's remaining alone. He's not bearing the fruit for which he was created. And what was the only hope for him? What was the only possible hope for you and I here? No, listen, it doesn't mean that you may be living your life partying, but you may be just spending your life on your own pleasures, building your own kingdom. You've got your own name, image, and likeness that you are pursuing and trying to profit on and pursue with all of your desire and passion. The answer for you and I is the same answer for the prodigal, to repent and return back to the Father. 
It's the call to say, listen, I must give up my life. Loving my life is actually losing it. It's, it's, listen, guys, the good news is this. Jesus says that if he dies, no, again, notice if he dies, he's going to bear much fruit. If you look around this room today in front of you and beside you, you're seeing the fruit for which Christ died. It is the body of Christ. He gave his life that you and I might become restored back to the image of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to no longer live a life that says, I love the world, I love the world, I love the world. Give me more, give me more, give me more. No, Jesus Christ came and died that we would bear the fruit that says, I want more of Christ, less of these things. I want to make His glory known, His name magnified, His joy cherished. His forgiveness and peace may be welcomed in the home of every green county. And is that not our hearts? Oh, man. Pastor Eric Reed says, most of us have chosen heaven over earth. But many of us have not chosen heaven over earth. Sorry, I misspoke. Most of us have chosen heaven over hell. But not many of us have chosen heaven over earth. In other words, we want the get-out-of-jail-free card, the good news of saying I'm forgiven, and that way we can go live any way we want and still make it home. Beloved, that is not the gospel. The gospel, Jesus says that if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his what? And follow me. I want to ask you a question this morning. When others look at the way you live for Christ, do they think that you're wasting your life? I mean, do they, they wonder like, man, why are you doing that on Sunday mornings? Don't you realize that, man, you're, you're, you're losing out opportunities for your kids to be on that field or doing that performance? You could be costing them college scholarships. Do they look at your life and think, man, on Wednesday nights, do you not realize all the other things you could be accomplishing and getting done and, and ma- making all the progress? And there you are working with those kids on Wednesday night. Like you're, you're, you, do you see all the things that you're, like you're, you're, you're losing your life? What are you doing? For others of you, as you look around the nations and you consider all of those people who live. So I was talking with a gentleman just this, just this week at the gas pump. All these, so many throughout the nations. Listen, guys, it's an issue of access to the gospel. In Greene County, listen, people may refuse it, but they still have the opportunity to hear it. There are so many nations on the face of this earth, so many people groups, where they are not even meeting one Christian. They're not even hearing the gospel. They can live their whole life and never hear the good news. And see, for some of you, that urges you to say, I, I must go. I must walk away. I must move. I, see, listen, it's not just for young people I'm talking to. I'm saying for some of you who are older, the retirement you thought you were going to enjoy, this thing, this truth of Christ, it's coming in conflict with your life at this moment. You're saying, what would it look like in my retirement to lose my life? That would appear foolish to the world. Jesus knows that. He knows that. And that's why He speaks of those truths that the way unto Him is narrow and only a few will find it. 
You see, this way of life that Jesus calls us is not easy. It's in fact the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 21. Where this prophet is warning and telling him that danger awaits. And Paul responds in verse 13. It's the church who's struggling. The church is struggling. With Paul. And Paul says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem. Why, Paul? He says, for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul had already, guess what? You know why Paul was not worried about death? It's because he had already died. Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Paul says. Paul was willing to give up his life. Why? Because the name of Christ was worth it. It was a month or so ago at night, and we were there with our kiddos. We we try. We don't get it successful every night, but we often try to at times before bed just to sit down as a family and just just read. And we were reading recently the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a German, a pastor, who was a part of the Protestant resistance movement who opposed what the Nazis were doing to the Jews. And as a preacher of the gospel and teacher, he was out sharing that. And he was captured. He was put in a concentration camp. And at the age of 39, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung. And we might think to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, listen, if you had just been a little quieter, you could have kept preaching and teaching. If you didn't hold so fast to the gospel truth, you could have kept your life. Just think of all the other good things you could have done. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, I don't know if you read it or not, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, listen to what he says. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And listen to what he says here. This is probably the statement that Echoes so richly from the book. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a woman, he bids her come and die. You see, the reality is we can flee death and discomforts in this world that we might live longer. And we indeed might. And we might even appear happier. But beloved, look at our Savior He calls us to come and die to lay down our lives for the good of others. You see, the cross, it challenges us to contemplate what it means that Jesus fell into the ground and died. But the cross also challenges us and causes us to wrestle with what does it mean for us to fall into the ground and die? What does it mean for us to come and die? And we come to that last truth. That we save our lives by losing them. Save by losing. That, that Gain by losing. That's what Jesus is saying here. Listen to what he says. Again, back in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now notice that. Right? Love loses. Hate. It wins. Right? That's upside down like. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks love loses and hate wins. Why? Because it's an upside-down kingdom. This kingdom is not what you expect. It was not what the Jewish people, they thought Jesus would come in and he would throw off Roman oppression. He would be the fulfillment of what they thought the Son of Man from Daniel 7 should be. And they're struggling and they're wrestling with it. And Jesus says, listen, 
this kingdom is upside down. And how do you see that most clearly? In the fact that the sinless Son of God dies in the place of ruined sinners. That's how upside down this kingdom is. It's that upside down feeling that captures exactly what Jesus means when he says he calls us to give up our wants and our desires and put others first. That feels foreign, wrong, and maybe even a little foolish. But notice, listen to what Jesus says is the reward for those who do so. Look at this. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Eternal life, beloved. That's no small matter. Eternal life. You see, most folks are after immortality. They're looking for this utopia society, but the truth is the gospel describes that as a place that the Bible calls heaven, where the things that we most value here, gold, is literally the things that we walk on there. It's this upside-down kingdom that is perplexing to our hearts and our minds. But Jesus says, listen, for those who are willing to follow me, to come and die, you will keep your life for eternity. Notice what else he says. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, notice what he says, there will my servant be also. He says you'll be with him. Not just the joy of being with Christ in eternity, but here and now, beloved. Being with him now, abiding with him now. Knowing the truth that in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Promises that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Beloved, today, for those of you who are in Christ, treasure that you are not alone. That there is indeed a good shepherd who will lead you beside those quiet, still waters. Indeed, there is a good shepherd who will cause you to lay down in green pastures. Indeed, there is a good shepherd who loves you and who knows the needs of your heart. Rest in him. Last, this reward of giving up your life, of coming to Christ. Again, beloved, this is the normal Christian life. This is it. This is a call to come and die. This is what it means to be a believer in Christ. It's not merely, I want to go to heaven when I die. The biggest rebel out there probably wants to go to heaven when they die. They just don't want God to be there when they get there. It's not what we're presenting before you when we share the gospel with people. It is a call to come and die. To treasure Christ more than anything in this world. Not just some fire insurance so you can feel a little bit better and go on with your wretched way of life. That is not the gospel that Jesus is preaching. So he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That is... I don't know if there's any gravitas more compelling to think that the God of the universe, creator God, is going to honor us. Hear that. Hear that because, again, oftentimes in life can feel like small and insignificant. Like, who really knows that you're teaching that Sunday school class with those small children? It seems so small. There's nobody else in the church to see how you're preparing and how you're praying and how you're laboring with those little lives. And you often don't see big growth results. But, beloved... There's a Father who's present every time you meet. And Jesus says that you, as you lay down your life, the Father will honor you. You see, I think, again, we we think it's so often giving up our lives. Listen, I'm going to get to it in a moment. I'm not saying that everybody here has to go into ministry or go on mission. Surely some of you will. But the vast majority of you will stay right here and minister right here in the life God has you in. And do not hear that this is some way saying that life is less. It's not. But if you live it for yourself, you're going to lose it. 
Just the same as you can travel across the world and still lose it. If it's for your own glory, think about that. The Father will honor Him. I know it's not easy for our bus drivers. I know it's got to be challenging. But there's a Father who sees you're coming to pick up His little children and bring them. Again, it won't often find its way to the front pages, but there's a God who sees. You see, there's some of you in this room that you care for an elderly neighbor or an aging parent. It's not glamorous. It's not known. But there's a Father who sees. And He says, if anyone serves Me by you laying down your life and caring for that aging parent, as you lay down your life and care for that neighbor across the street, as you do these small acts, it says the Lord sees and the Father will honor you on that day. You see, Jim Elliott... He gave his life to bring the good news of the gospel to Ecuador, to those who had never heard the gospel. And the very gospel that they were trying to share with these unbelievers, they literally killed them. And you might think, man, Jim Elliott, dude, you wasted your life, your wife and your kids. Look at all that you guys left behind. But Jim Elliott said this epic statement. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. To earn what he cannot lose. Hear it again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep of this world to earn what he could never lose. It appears foolish to risk his life that way. But he knows, listen, there's eternal life coming. Jim Elliott says to us by his very life, don't waste your life. You can't keep it. Beloved, unless Christ returns, all of us are going the way of the grave. I pray you won't come to the end and say, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Hear Jesus sounding the alarm this morning. Maybe you'd wonder, well, how might I know in some way if I'm wasting it? Well, I think Jesus gives some of that clarity there in verse 26. As he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So in some way, this hating of our lives in this world is serving and following Christ. It's, it's losing. Are you loving your enemies? Are you finding yourself loving Christ with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you found yourself wanting to forgive those who have wronged you today? Are you serving the poor and the least of these who cannot repay you in this life? Again, I want to be clear, don't hear this message and assume, well, man, it must mean that I also need to go be a missionary. If I'm not a missionary, I won't raise up. Or if I'm not a a pastor, or if I'm not in some way, like I'll, I'll never raise up. No, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 to the believers, listen, remember, retain the place to which God has called you. Because the temptation was, well, man, maybe I should just just jump ship and get out of here and do something so much greater. But no, Paul says to them, listen, serve Christ right where you are. God has put you in that place to serve and to minister. To work hard when your boss isn't watching. To befriend the person on your job that everybody else wants to avoid. To stand fast on the Word of God, even though it may cost you that job. To demonstrate to others around you that the mighty dollar is not what moves your heart and sets your course. 
In fact, day by day, year after year in the same place, many with many of those same people, as Eugene Peterson says, it's long obedience in the same direction. As you pray with those on your job and around you that are hurting, as I hear some of you sharing Scripture with others around you, as you love them at the cost of your own convenience, listen, you are dying to yourself. You are giving up your life. And beloved, that honors and glorifies the Lord. Stay the course. To the unbeliever today, do not miss out on the words that we began with, the story of that older man who came to the end. Yes, praise God that he came to Christ. Hallelujah. But he realized in seeing the beauty of Christ and what he might have done for Christ, he was crying out, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. Unbeliever, I compel you today. Riches and accomplishments and earthly pleasures, those are hollow dreams. They'll never satisfy. Today, I pray that you hear the good news of this gospel. See the Son of God dying for you and realize there's a God who loves you in the midst of while you're wasting your life. There's a God who died for you. As you wrestle with the idea, surely there's something more. Am I wasting my life? Yes! There's something so much more. It is the love of Christ towards you. Today, would you hear it and believe? Would you accept His forgiveness to be free and forgiven? It's a call, though, to come and die. It's a call to the church to realize that if we are to treasure Christ, beloved, that it is a call to come and die in our marriages, in our homes, and our jobs, in this community, within these church walls. The truth is we can sing the songs and we can amen the sermons and the verses and yet so often live like we have not been called to come and die. Beloved, hear the gospel. Jesus says if you love your life, you will lose it. You'll waste it. But if you hear His call and you come and die, Jesus says that you will keep it for eternal life. C.T. Studd, the great British athlete, cricket player, who was a missionary to China, India, and Africa, said those words, only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. GBC, we only have one life. By God's grace, let us not waste it. Let us give ourselves for this community and for the nations. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, we thank you that we could hear your word this morning. Hear the urgency, Lord, to give up our lives, to lay down our lives for others. Father, I pray now for empowerment from your Holy Spirit that marriages will be transformed as they leave this place, as spouses lay down their lives for one another. Reconciliation between parents and children, as there is a spirit of humility of denying ourselves and considering the other more important. Father, I pray for forgiveness and reconciliation in this church of those who may be divided, Lord, that they would lay down their lives this morning. They would not walk out these doors divided. For Christ Himself prayed that we might be one.
Oh, Lord, I pray, God, today, thanking you for the hope of this gospel. May you stir hearts and minds to give up our lives that we could love the people of Greene County, that we could share the gospel more faithfully. Oh, God, that we could go more urgently, that we could sacrifice greater. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be deceived, that we can know the truth and the warning to not waste our lives. So, Lord, in response, may we come and bow before your son, Jesus, that we might truly live. I pray for grace, God, upon my soul and the souls of all those in this room that we might cherish coming and dying. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.